and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Wes. Hey, everybody. Hey. It's Hellboy time. It's book club time. Book club time. Hellboy time. Yes. We're reading all the Hellboy comics and all the related titles, and we're talking to our friends. And here's Danielle to tell you all about it. No, I'm not. Wes is going to tell you all I about like it. we just did this. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm going to throw it to somebody else. Can I throw it to somebody else? No, Wes is going to tell you all about it. Dang. Damn. All right. This is what it's about. The book club, i.e. you guys, tell us what we're going to read. The listener, that's me. You guys read it, and we read it, and then we listen to you talk about it as, like, you kind of read it again, and you go through it, and then we send you an email or a message through social media or something like that, and then we call that a Hey You Damn Guys, and then you read that, and you comment on that, and then we listen to that, and we become friends, and then we do it all again. Run it again. That's correct, Wes. And that's a book club. It's a book club. And it's a book club. And it's friendship. Book club. Yes, that's the most important part is the friendship. Thank you so much, Wes. You do a great yeah, job yeah. with that. It's not, a, it's not a friendship club, though. It's a book club. Yeah, but there's friendship involved. There with is the book friendship club. involved. I have some. Is sh- it a friendship club? Sure, okay. it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Let's. The... Other clubs that don't have friendship in them. It's a byproduct of. It's the, the book, book club, club friendship club. Yeah, yeah. Really, there you is go. what it is. Really, that's in what parentheses. it's become. Sounds good. I've got some shouts outs for this week. Shouts, shouts outs. Yes. Um, so there's a couple things I want to shout out. I want to shout out uh, Mike Mignola. Mike Mignola. Mike Mignola. Yeah. Is book he club member. member. Is he though? Wait, did he listen to it? I, I, I don't know if he's but listened I had to, to say it. it. He shared some of our posts from okay. time to time. That's so. nice. Yeah, but... um, At least we can say Hellboy creator. Yes. He's the book club creator, <laughs> basically. Bo- yeah, there you go. I wanted to give a shout out because... Uh, there's a new Kickstarter that's going to be going up. Um, okay. I, I'm not sure exactly when, but it's going to be the next couple of days by the time this episode comes up for his Pinocchio book. Um, he's doing an illustrated novel of Pinocchio. Oh, wow. And uh, I've seen some of the promo pictures on Mike Mignola's art. It looks incredible. He's also shared some on his Twitter and his social media. And so I'm really excited for that. And you know so, who's going to buy a copy of that? Me. Well, Del Toro, for sure. Oh, okay. He's yeah. But I'm also going to buy one, too. You can like, um, I'll share it in the show notes. There's a link where you can like watch the Kickstarter, like, so that way you'll be notified right when it kicks off. Mm. Oh, um, cool. So I'll send the link. Is and that I'm, necessary? I'm, I mean, is it only running for like five minutes? No, but sometimes there's like early bird specials. Oh, I see. Okay. You know what I mean? That uh, is important I don't know. to know. That's I mean, good to know. I'm not saying there's going to be an early bird special, right. but sometimes you never people, know. Or sometimes um, certain reward tiers are like only 50. Oh, it's limited. Or something like that. Good, good. Okay. I don't know if they're going to do no, that. No, that's good to know. But I'm just saying like you want to be on top of it. Okay. That's yeah. why you want to be I'm on learning top things. Of it. I'm learning <laughs> things about, about this. Yeah. So check the show notes and follow that Kickstarter. I want to make sure that we get that book. And uh, it looks amazing so far. Some of the images that I've seen from it. Um, awesome. I also want to shout out Dale Bigford. Dale Bigford. Book club member. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Dale Bigford. Wow. He has an amazing collection. He shared it on our Facebook page and oh, I'll, okay. I'll share the page. I'll share his pictures again, but he's actually gone the extra mile of making some of the BPRD artifacts. Oh, nice. So oh, wow. that's yeah. great. He has a, he has a sort of Hyperborea. No but way. it's actually made out of bronze. Wow. It's like a bronze sword that could actually like hurt somebody. Now that's a piece of fan art right now there. That's a piece of fan art. But he's also made um, the little Zarahem statue. Oh, nice. nice. He's made that. That's great. He made the medallion. Uh, remember like oh, um, that's really cool. the Howard's medallion or they went and they had mm-hmm. that sigil on there. And yeah. then it was also on Mr. Whittier or something like that. 
uh, he's made that little thing. So yeah, a lot of cool stuff. Really cool. Um, nice. I was asking him already. I was like, do you make, do you take commissions? Right. And he was like, well, this stuff is hard to make. So. Yeah, sure. Uh, anyway, but Dale, uh, thank you so much for sharing that. I'll reshare some of his pictures on our social media. I can understand not wanting to turn your hobby into a uh-huh. hustle be- yeah. because that immediately just takes all the joy out oh, of it. Yeah, yeah. And you're just miserable, like more time out of the day than you would have been if you had just stuck with it as your hobby so we get it man it's yeah cool. we got it they look great very good and uh we talked about it on book club members but we hadn't talked about it on this podcast um i also wanted to shout out matt strackbine the letter hack matt strackbine book club member that's yes. right damn straight and he's got his own awesome podcast and show on youtube i'll link it in the show notes and he had me on there for some reason, he, he drew you as a big white boy. He drew me, a big and we're in a Tim boy. We're in a big Hellboy shirt, yeah. and uh, it was really yeah. cool. Jacked, Jack John. Yeah, <laughs> we got to chat for a long time, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So, if you uh, haven't had a chance to check out that interview, please do, and also check out the slew of interviews that he's doing all month long on his channel. So, uh, give him a follow. That's a really good interviewer. Yeah, he is. He I, is. I've watched some of his other interviews, too, and he's he's really good at it. There yeah. is an art to it. He's yeah. doing a good job. And then two last shouts out. I had a lot of shouts out this week. Um, we got shouted out by oh, okay. by Michael Avenoming. What? Michael Avenoming. Wait, 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 wait. Whoa. Book club member and Hellboy artist. Is he a book club member? Uh, yes. Yeah. So uh, okay. he, he posted on Mike Mignola's art. He, he drew a picture of Hellboy and Abe, and he said that he was listening to our podcast. Wow. While he was drawing it. And Hi. he said... He said highly recommended Hi. and all this kind of stuff. So Hi, thank you homie. so much for the shouts outs. Yeah. Yeah. He was all like somebody asked about it. And he's that's like, super he cool. posted a link to it. And nice. Was like, that's awesome. Yeah, it really is. Dang, that's awesome. Yeah, it's super good. I've been a fan of his work for 20 years, I guess. Oh, yeah. I no. Even, huh. I just I just picked up his new book. Well, how do you uh, like he, that? He's got a new comic that came out this last week. It's called Blue Book. Um, issue yeah. one just came out. Okay. So yeah, awesome. check that out too. And then I also want to shout out Adam Hughes. Adam Hughes. Oh, why are we shouting out Adam Hughes? Another book club member, Hellboy artist. Wait, wait, wait. Adam Hughes, the comic book artist. Yes. A book club member. He shouted us out on Twitter. What? Um, oh. said, uh, yeah. What is happening? He was listening to our Seven Wives okay. Club discussion. That's great. Uh, no way. Yeah, and he hey. really enjoyed it. Welcome. So, wow. Thank you so much. It felt really good. I was like, wow. Here's some creators and they're listening to us. Uh, that's, that's okay. Awesome. Nerdy cool, man. Friends, that's great. So really that's great. awesome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you, uh, Adam Hughes and Michael Avon Oming. Yeah, for plugging the podcast. Really, really good. Nice. All right. And now we're, we're glad gonna... to have you. Glad yes. to have you as book club members. Definitely. Glad to have you. Yes. And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. Listener feedback. Right. It's listener feedback. <laughs> Copies, get out hardback copies, digital is fine. Read along in time, get out. We got a hey damn guys from Guess Who. Guess guess who it is? Hey Nor. It's Hey Nor. Yeah. Book club member. That's right. Uh, Haydnor says, great episode, you damn guys. In regards to what ifs, I remember when Frankenstein Underground. Frankenstein Underground. Was first announced, my brain was going crazy with the possible story outcomes, and I started drawing Frankenstein and BPRD gear, which was complicated because of his large nipple bolts. I guess you'd have to have like a cutout, like some, cut, some cutouts, some cuts outs. Uh, but way off base with what actually ended up happening. But what ifs are always a fun thought experiment. I agree. 
Also, someone should make a collage of all the times demons in the Mignolaverse speak politely to Hellboy. No hard feelings. That was fairly done. It's always so funny to me hearing a vile little demonic freak saying no hard feelings. Yeah, same. Yeah, that's so true. true. That's, yeah, that's good. <laughs> that would be great if Frankenstein... I want to see like a alternate BPRD where you've got Frankenstein Underground and fucking the Wendigo or whatever. Daryl the Wendigo, they're on the BPRD I too. think that's high on people's what-if lists is yeah. if, if Daryl ended up sticking around and not being a tragedy and then like it, it would have been cool for the rest of them to meet hellboy because like yeah. daimyo sure. johan and all of them you know they never got to meet hellboy all the agents that we met like later down the line right um they never got to meet him either so oh but, wait no at the very end they did they got to some of them got to meet him yeah but not daimyo or johan yeah they both did were they not born Which, out of a Hey, we need to make this interesting without Hellboy sure, yeah, being yeah, here. Yeah, so, what yeah. interesting characters can we concoct? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's like both of those characters met Hellboy in the movies. Oh yeah. Oh, you're right. Wow, that's interesting. So that's what if has already been yeah. checked out off of the box. What if, What if we got the story of the of Hellboy's jacket tailor and just <laughs> oh yeah oh I would bring, love that just a short story into... that would be a, that's a great idea actually. I love that. Just a day again, in the life. Again, Hellboy? A week in the life of this man. Like every day he wakes up and he's just, there's just a pile of just, Hellboy's just scraps, up, like burned up and slimed yeah. up and just a big pile of fucked up uh, trench coats. And he just looks at him and there's like a whole team trying to salvage whatever they can out of it and being like, no, we, have to, the- we have to burn this set because it's got a like demonic like <laughs> disease or something on it. I like want him to be excited about it, like 007's guy that makes okay. all his gadgets. He like I makes see him as just a tired, tired man, as just a haggard man. But like he has to, they need him uh, for one of the adventures for some reason. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a reason, <laughs> like a goofy reason. Well, I see you know, when he when he goes in to work on the coats, he says, "Time to make the donuts." Yeah, like something. Yeah, <laughs> but like, and so he makes. They need a whole him bunch because it's like all of a sudden he gets pulled into it because right help everybody's out for some reason everybody's out of the office and he went in there to grab his jacket and he got pulled into something they're like we need one more guy yeah 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 well he's got a whole team of people working under him i imagine you know what I mean? he's got like a warehouse oh, team see, i can see him just doing it all by himself but that's what i'm saying i'm saying like he's he's doing most like the majority of like the important stuff but now they've they've had to provide him with like an entire team and he's like overseeing this team of like you know, you've got to work like the pallet jack and you've got to have guys boxing them up and and disposing of the ones that need to be disposed of and all this shit. And you've got like a yeah, whole room full of people team that deals on with this... the ones yes. that are covered with. Gross exactly. Things. You've got all the people sitting at their sewing machines on like 12 separate tables and they're all making these same ones. And he's like quality control people come on this this collar is way too small it needs to be much bigger we need like he's a 70s disco for, collar for doing a corduroy collar he's like who approved this corduroy collar i did not approve corduroy we're going with oh, well, well, maybe he has to go on one of the missions to be like how is he running through these so quickly i need to figure out how i can make these last longer and he's like that's, taking notes in the field that's why he's in the field <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. You got. He's it. like taking notes on it the whole time, like trying to figure out, like, all right, well, I guess I could uh, find a different material for this. And he, oh, they like they're in like some small town and like you know some Eastern European town. And he's like going into all the tailor shops and like, where is Frank? Where did he? Where did he go? And he's like, so you're telling me that this is this is waterproof, but this this is fireproof. Is there a way to make it 
both like this can we have both and they're like dragging him out and he's like i was talking to this person about the tailoring i was talking to them something like that and they're like there's not nothing in the budget for that he's looking at like mystical spell they're in some sort of like magic so i was thinking like like, does maybe he threads it a certain way that has like different sigils inside the threads yes dude i have to go to a wizard's hut and he's like have you ever worked with uh have you ever worked with cotton and the guy's like, what? So like, can you, is there a spell that, and he keeps getting dragged away from all of these different like would-be solutions. And then at the end of the day, he's just happy to be back in his workshop. And they're all like, oh, we brought you some donuts. We really missed you. Things fell apart with you around, without you here or something like that. Like that would be a cute one shot, I think. Frank the trench coat maker. There you go. Yeah, there you go. There's our what if right there. Someone forgets Perfect. to put the the area where his tail goes and he's like where's the little there's supposed to be like a like a split here where the tail goes yeah it's too low this one's too low yeah but didn't go high enough (laughs) he needs extra pockets for all the little trinkets he's got yeah yeah for sure he's got to have extra pockets all right we also heard his liner looks like oops sorry oh Oh, yeah (laughs) i'm trying to move this episode along we'll never move it along (laughs) all right we also heard from jerry turnbull jerry turnbull book club member Mm -hmm. yes so i was pointing out all the easter eggs in those last set of stories one that i missed remember yad tovich uh Mm -hmm. from long night at goloski station yeah yep when he brings out the vodka bottle at the end it has kashi the deathless face on it oh Oh, no way wow it's kashi it's kashi the deathless vodka that's That's pretty cool cool. right yeah i want some kashi yad is such a cool dude I know. He's awesome. Jerry also recommended Matt Smith's graphic novel, Lake of Fire. And then okay. he shared he shared an awesome image. He has the Bones of Giants trade and Matt Smith remarked his. And so he drew like a sketch of Thrym on the inside. Oh, that's uh, so that's so really cool. That's cool. Sweet. Yeah, I'll share that on our social media as well. We also heard from Ryan Yule. Ryan Yule. Book club member. <laughs> book club member. That's yeah. right. Ryan, uh, he shared his awesome Adam Hughes pages. All right. Um, So you can check those out on our Facebook comments. One thing that I thought was really cool, uh, he posted a picture of it side by side with the comic. He said, it's too big for my scanner, 14 by 20, so I never got a proper scan. Those pages are huge. Wow. Those original R pages, they're much bigger than other original R pages that I've seen before, like or the one like any that I have. That's really cool. I didn't know that those pages were so ginormous. Ryan also shared some other original R pages from Adam Hughes, so uh, be sure to check those out as well. Thanks, Ryan. We also got a Hey You Damn Guys from Peter Winthrop. Peter Winthrop. Book club member. Yeah. Well, Peter says, Hey You Damn Guys, what if stories can be good, but few take them far enough? Many of the Marvel what-ifs barely get into the story to make it worthwhile doing the changes exploring the difference. Two good ones are Superman, Red Sun, which I love. That is a good oh, one. Oh, that is a good one, yeah. And Injustice yeah, like that one. Where they are really telling a new story and exploring different themes and not just making cosmetic changes. I'd love to see some Hellboy what ifs, but they need to take the time exploring how the story would be different. Now, I, I could totally agree with that because, like, yeah, there's this one what if that was like, what if, or not what if, Elseworld, Superman, like, he, what if he came from Earth to Krypton? And then at the end of it, he was just back on Earth being Superman. And I was just like, <laughs> well and we had um we've done a couple of uh what ifs on our other podcast the book club member, comics. Yeah, book club sure member comics and i was really excited about the one where um magic was the sorcerer supreme right and yeah. that was it was not long enough i wanted 
more. I wanted right, her to have exactly. her own run because that was, I mean, the art was fantastic. The writing was great. And I, I was like, this is great. This could be really something. And it was so short. And so, yeah, I, I think maybe like a more fleshed out version of that would have been made a good story. I mean, it was a good story. I just yeah. mean, it would have, I would have really liked to see more of it. It's, it's a compliment. I'm not trying to be like, yeah, no, this was bad. Yeah. It was good. I think Peter is absolutely right. Yeah. Like a lot of those what if issues, they end right when it's getting good. Yeah. You're like, like right wait, more of this, yeah. please. More, please. Exactly. Which is like we said, we're not, that's not a complaint. It's like, hey, yeah, yeah. good job, but could we have more of this? Yeah, you know, someone should, I, I guess then it becomes more than a what if, but like, well, no, what, what if than, could be four issues. That's what I'm saying. They yeah. should do like a what if mini series. Sure, I mean, absolutely. Like, like uh, Superman Red Sun was like three issues. Right, and right. It was like 360 60 page issues. Yeah. Wow, well, a yeah, lot of yeah. three or four page issue runs are some of the best things you've ever friggin' read. Yeah. Too, yeah. right? We also heard from Thaddeus Papke. Thaddeus Papke book club member mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. he said such a great set of stories regarding our last episode as much as i love the big epic stories i think the short episodic stuff is my favorite long night at Golosky station in particular is a favorite i love how it gives us stories within stories and we get the tale of bishop zrini and the origin of yad tovich baked in there yad is such a great character and one i would dearly love to see more of Although God, I not, want to see more of him. I know, me too. <laughs> Although not perhaps with Hellboy, as I think those two are too similar. Both capable monster fighters with a wry everyman sort of quality. Instead, I would love to see a story that takes place before this one with Edward Gray, or maybe another one after it with Broom or even Abe. Uh, what I especially love, though, is how he makes the world seem bigger. There's more than Hellboy and the BPRD out there bumping back against things in the dark. And also shady characters willing to buy assorted werewolf heads or warlock hand. I would be remiss <laughs> if I did not also mention how the last panel of Golosky Station with its birch trees in the foreground is reminiscent of the work of one of my all-time favorite illustrators, Ivan Bilibin. Bilibin is especially well remembered for his illustrations of Russian folktales, including many characters who appeared in Hellboy. Yeah, so... Um, if you remember when we were reading The Wild Hunt and we were talking about Vasilisa and Kashi for the first time, mm-hmm. I did share those Ivan Bilibin images um, on our social media. So I like to like, you know, uh, when we first introduced Kashi, I like to put like how he's depicted in other various forms. And, oh, I, th- right, and, right, and yeah. I, I did reference those Ivan Bilibin paintings. They're really famous. They're really well done, and I think that there's a lot of similarities to the way that uh, they're depicted in the in the Hellboy comics with those illustrations. So I think those illustrations are also an inspiration to Mignola or to the other artists too. So they're really great. You should definitely check those out. And I got one that I got today. It's hot off the presses. All right. I got a hey you damn guys from Spencer Stepnewski. Spencer Stepnewski. Hot off the press. Book club, I mean, he's been book club before, but <laughs> yeah. hot, off, hot off the press, anyways. Book club, yes. Member. He says, "Hey, you damn guys! First of all, holy hell, new Hellboy movie going in tentatively optimistic, but honestly, I see there being no real downside to this. If it's good, then awesome. We get more quality content. If not, well, somebody still will like it, and they will be inspired to seek out the comics. I am sure there are middle schoolers of today, like I did back in the day with the 2004 movie, who will discover the deep well of riches." through a loose movie adaptation. But my main thought is in response to the last episode's trope from Her Fatal Hour, where some prophecy says something will happen after a set number of years. Remember we were talking about that? Mm -hmm. Um, I have an example for you, set in Texas, no less. The Mark Z. Danewski, I don't know if I'm saying that right, ergodic novella 
the 50 year sword has a super creepy cursed time bomb of a MacGuffin. Without drifting too far into spoilery territory, it involves orphans, mysterious traveling storytellers, and a magical invisible sword that can cut through anything, but only after it is 50 years old. Metaphors abound, and it is super quick and an interesting read, where even the typesetting is its own work of art. Definitely recommend it, and especially so to Hellboy fans, who seem to be looking a little too deep into things. For some reason, the whole vibe of Her Fatal Hour reminded me a lot of this story, especially the old-world folklore storytelling creeping into the contemporary setting. Hope all is well, and keep rocking, Spencer Stepniewski. Awesome. Thank you so much. And he also shared some images of the book um, to kind of show how the fonts and the layout kind of play into the the reading of the book. It looks really cool, yeah. So I have to check that out. Thank you so much, Spencer. Great hearing from you. And uh, great uh, talking about the movie discussion because that leads us into our next section. What do you see? What do you say? Yeah. So we talked about this a little bit on Book Club Members Podcast. Um, you can check that out on our, uh, what episode was that? A couple, couple episodes. It was our ago. Baltimore episode. On our Baltimore mm-hmm. episode, we talked about um, the Hellboy movie a little bit. Uh, but I wanted to talk about it on this podcast, too, because there's been even more news, right? Wait, 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 wait. You want to talk about Hellboy on the Hellboy podcast? I know, podcast? right? <laughs> so, <Radical>. so <laughs> we we know that um, Jack Kesey has been cast as Hellboy. Uh-huh. Kesey or whatever. I don't think I know who this person is still. I still don't. I don't think I've. Let me let me Google this. I, go on. Have you continue, um, Wes? Have you like gone so far as to look up like interviews of him so you can hear him talking and stuff like that? Oh no, I haven't. No, I like I, that's what I want to do. I want to look him up. Yeah, because he I, could be helpful. I'm looking at him. I googled him. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah I sure. googled his image. I haven't listened to his right. voice. He looks I, fine. I, I saw a couple of uh, I, I I've seen a couple different interviews of just him talking. I I also saw him on some podcast just talking, and I like his voice. I think he's got like there that. You know how Ron Perlman has that real, like, deep sure. uh, kind of yeah. resonance? He, mm-hmm. he, I mean, he doesn't quite... He, he sounds like a young version of that voice a little bit. He probably you know, could he do it, though, if he, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and an people have already been doing fan art of him and stuff like that. Yeah, I've been seeing some of that fan art pop up. It's oh, cool. I haven't. Seen yeah, it looks pretty cool. So um, hopefully uh, it'll be good. Uh, we also, I'm sure it'll be fine. We saw that uh, Yellowstone actor Jefferson White. That was the guy that I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. he's, he's going to be Tom Farrell. And then Adeline Rudolph has also been cast. She's going to be Bobby Joe Song. Okay. I don't know who Bobby Joe Song I what, is. I don't know who that is. So I'm assuming that's the rookie BPRD agent. Uh, is that going to be the, the, the POV character? I don't know. I mean, we, we kind of uh, poo-pooed that idea a little bit last week. because I none continue of, to do so. None of us like that idea. But then... We were just talking about on our book club members podcast. We were talking about Silver Surfer last week and how Don Greenwood is such cool. A great so we character. had one example of them doing it well, and like yeah. thousands of examples where it's just shit. So well, uh, all I'm saying is that it, pin it your could, hopes on that. It could be good. Sure, it, could it absolutely good. could be for sure. Definitely could be. I guess one thing that kind of you know, I, if uh, someone's gonna, I just I'm gonna calling it now. Someone's gonna lean it. She's gonna be looking around, and someone's gonna lean into her, and, and he'll be like. We do things a little differently around here. And then they're going to, some weird guy will walk past and she'll be like, oh, goodness, or something like that. We're going to have that. I'm calling it. Like, just seeing the look of the actor playing Bobby Joe's song, like, I was thinking, like, why couldn't she just have been Susan Jang? Because that's a character that's in the 50s. Because that would have been too woke, John. uh, That's a character that's already in the 50s. And, 
You could have just plugged her into the story. I don't know. I, I, I'm wondering, like, is she going to have powers? Is she just going to be like a, like a, you know, just like an agent with no powers? Know. Or what are they going to do? I don't know. Are you asking so, me? I don't know. I, mean, I don't that's, know. That's even assuming that she's going to be um, an agent. Sure. Yeah. Right. Or maybe she's not even an agent. Maybe she's somebody yeah, she totally different. Someone, like a yeah. civilian or something. Why would they have announced yeah. her being connected to this project then? Because, well, they have, uh, like, in the they, stories, they have civilians that help them with projects when right yeah that's true well because um in the first release they said there were going to be three leads and the leads were going to be tom farrell hellboy and then this new character sure and so that's her you know they've announced in the hollywood reporter that she's been i'm sure it'll be fine it'll definitely be a movie so it'll definitely be we know that yeah so um, uh good i am cautiously optimistic you know i mean i like what i've heard like with um that Mignola and Golden are writing the script and the cast seems like a bunch of people. I have no idea who they are and I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, but it, isn't it being made by the same people who made See, the last one? John oh. went over this in the other oh, pot in yeah. book club member comics. Go check out book club member comics. Go look at go. Yeah. Why are there True. so many people listening to this? And you don't even listen <laughs> to one episode of that. Go listen to it. Nobody went over this, and uh, you could drop that in here too if you wanted. Maybe John. I'll put a short clip you could just in here. Drop that in there, but, but uh, yeah, Aubrey, you have a good point, and we yeah, went over no, that. I mean, but I feel like a lot of Hellboy fans are kind of like trepidation. Oh God, I don't know if I want to get excited about, about this, this or not. I've been burned before. To me, yeah. um, to me, it reminds me of the when Homer goes to the monkey's paw guy or whatever. Oh yes, because <laughs> they're like, they're like, oh, there's going to be a new Hellboy movie, and I'm like. That's good. And they're like, oh, it's being directed by the guy who that did, did Crank. Who did Crank and Gamer. <laughs> oh, that's bad. And Ghost Rider's Spirit of Vengeance, oh, no. Brian Taylor. And I'm like, <laughs> ooh, that's bad. Yeah. And then they're like, but Mike Mignola and Christopher Golden are writing the screenplay. And that's I'm like, good. Oh, that's, that's good. good. And they're like, it's being made by Millennium Films. Oh, like, that's bad. That's bad. And then they're like, Oh no! But they're only focusing on a short story, and they're that's, not going to try to do all this stuff. That's and I'm good. Like, that's that good. I love to that's hear. Good. Yeah, you know I like to I mean? hear that. That's good. And then they're like, "But there's going to be a rookie BPRD agent," and I'm like, "That's bad." Can I go now? And so it's just like every time I just I keep wavering. Wait, back like and, a rookie. So it's not right for me to bash Brian Taylor because I really haven't seen a lot of his movies, and it's he not did bashing a, it to say that you don't particularly. It's not your, if it's not your thing. But he did an interview with Collider, and he said um, that he loves the character, he loves the run, um, he loves okay. everything that Del Toro did, but they're trying mm-hmm. to do a folk, creepy uh, horror movie. Um, it's going to be a younger Hellboy, because it's it's in the 50s, and he's doing a paranormal investigation, you know what I mean? And that's kind of, I think that that sounds cool, and he's like saying... Um, Could they just get a good director? That he, like- he's saying that uh, Christopher Golden and Mike Mignola are writing the screenplay, and that he's actually trying to make it even more like the comic than they have in their screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, so he okay. wants to use elements from the Crooked Man, you know, that's the story that they're adapting. So everything that Brian Taylor said in his interview sounds really promising. Okay. And I mean, the fact that Mignola and Christopher Golden are doing the screenplay sounds amazing. Yeah, I just want to be cautiously optimistic. I mean, I'll, like like you said, I'll yeah. go see the movie regardless. Yeah, I think what we landed on is we're just going to watch it and it'll be fun. And, you know, even if it's not everything we hoped and dreamed it would be, it'll get people into the comics. That's what happens yeah, when yeah. a Hellboy movie drops is, I mean, that's <clears> when we talked about how did you get into Hellboy and everybody wrote in. Every it was like almost unanimous. There have maybe one or two exceptions, but almost everybody was like, oh, "I saw the Hellboy movie and I started reading the comics." So well, one thing I'm actually kind of surprised about is it just happening so soon after the last one. 
Right. You know? I mean, I was. I not think they just wanted to. I just wasn't expecting move past this. it. And I, so I'm actually, you know, I mean, I love the idea that we're getting another Hellboy film because more films. It was means, a different take yeah. too. It's young Hellboy. I mean, they haven't done that yet. That's good. Yeah, and they're still focusing yeah. on the one story, so that's good. There yes. you go. All that stuff is good. Oh, you were saying it's happening so soon. I wonder yeah. if it's a rights thing. I wonder, I wonder too, uh, yeah. because sure. for a while it was kind of like that with um, the Fantastic oh, Four man. and stuff like that. Yeah. Like they had to make a Why movie. Why are they still making these shitty and, fucking and, movies? And so they, they had to. If they didn't make one, they were going to lose the rights. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I wonder if it's that type of thing. Um, and I'm also hoping. Uh, I'm also hoping. I've seen some people on Twitter. I'm put, hoping like, that uh, Millennium Films maybe they've learned a lesson. Like maybe they yeah. were like, hey, that last movie. We really thought we had something good, and we had a good cast, and we had a good director, and we fucked it up. So let's not do that this time. You know what I mean? Being I don't know. More hands off about it. Maybe you know okay. what I mean, and maybe the smaller scale and stuff like that is is part of that. Yeah. So, um, and they they gotta realize that Hellboy is not a superhero. He's a yeah. It's a whole different type of comic. Yeah, it really is. You know, so you, you it's X Files. It's not Avengers. Yeah, like we're, that's a good way to describe. You it. know what yeah. I mean? We're I mean, he just happens to be a big red demon. So, ooh. But I mean, other than that, everything is pretty grounded. And... I forget about that, though. Because yeah, yeah. they keep constantly trying to call attention to it by being like, huh, huh, isn't it so goofy how he's got horns? And I'm like, I forgot that yeah, until yeah. you made a big joke about it. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, uh, I don't know. Like Aubrey said, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic as well. I'm excited, you know. I'm excited for it, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. go see it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pump it up. I'm gonna like be promoting it on the show and all that stuff. All right. Ain't, uh, anything else, Wes? Do you have anything about the movie? I would love if they gave David Harbor like a bit part in there. <laughs> it's, it's like, like a man on a porch. Be like he and Ron Perlman are sitting on a porch. Yeah, together. dude. Oh, that would be hilarious. Sharing a bottle of rum. Two like old, yes. uh, old guys in front of like a hut or something. Yeah. Um, Mia Jovovich walks out with a new bottle of rum to replace yeah. <laughs> the empty one next to them. But you know, um, for everybody that dogs the help the 2019 movie or people didn't like it or whatever, like people, it still has an audience. It has people that like it. It got people into the comics. Yeah, you know, yeah. people. That's still, a win. Yeah. So I mean, hey, wh- whatever works, right? I have nothing. I mean, I'm I'm just excited to see what happens. I'm really I, excited. For I it. did pull out my library edition and start reading the Crooked Man again. Hmm. So, although I am kind of curious, I mean, you know, do you think they're going to have Broom in it? And anybody you'd like to see? They're going to have to. Who's the casting for that, Aubrey? I don't know. I mean, it's really hard to chop. You forgot his name, John Hurt. Yeah. Okay, that's actually one thing. I thought Ian McShane did not really do a good broom. Jeremy Irons. That was, I mean, it was a different. He's too old. He's going to very... be too old because it's young Hellboy. Yeah. He was too rude. Yeah. He was a rude. He broom. was rude. He's a very different broom. Than so I... rude. Yeah. But like uh, the Crooked Man is a pretty self-contained story. I don't know if we're going to get all that. Yeah. They, yeah. You. Might we we might just. Yeah, get... I don't know. You know how much they love to embellish. Yeah. I don't know, but like with the <laughs> with the. You know, forty to fifty million dollar budget. I don't know how much money they have to embellish. Mm. Yeah, they could um, put a bro- just a, they just need a broom on the phone. That's all they need. There you go. Yeah, yeah. they'll have a they'll have a shot with him on the I phone. Think and they'll have him in at least one scene. Maybe. Well, we'll see. I think at least one. Yeah. Scene. Yeah. I hope you're right. We've been watching Poker Face, and I very much enjoy Poker Face. Oh, man. I really love that show. It is so good. It's great. Natasha Leone is great. I'm Ryan Johnson is awesome. I mean, it's been really fun. It's good stuff, yeah. and they have a great supporting cast like all of the i i I get excited for each episode to be like who is this 
supporting cast in this episode because it's inevitably it's always really good. Big names. Yeah. Well, and even without that, even even if it's not big names, even if it's people I've never even seen before, they're doing a great job. Anyway, it's good. Oh uh, well, I mean, if we're going that one, I um I started Will Wheaton's new book, Still Just a Geek. Okay. Oh, cool. Well, yeah. Is that any good? So far. I've been I just started because I was waiting for the twelfth issue to come out of The Human Target by Tom King. All right. Oh, Ooh. I want to read that. I've been reading that. That's uh, one that I might I, I might get the trade for that because I've heard nothing but good things about it. Get the trade. It's cool. I'm not even close to halfway through, but it's so far really good. Man. Yeah, I know Matt was talking about that uh, that title, and uh, I was just reading that Tom King's going to take over Wonder Woman. Yeah, I saw that today. And I was like, man, that's going to be good. I want to check that out. So, very cool. Great recommendation, Wes. I'm definitely going to pick that up. Yeah. The Human Target, I mean, it's a 12-issue miniseries, so it's you don't have to, you know what I mean? Right, I right. Waited, I waited until that last issue came out, but... Well, I was reading some Silver Surfer. I don't know. You you might be into it. We talked about it over on (laughs) Book Club Member Comics. Book Club Member Comics. Another podcast where we're all talking. Go hang out with us there. What was the name of that podcast? Silver Surfer. No, it's called Book Club Member Podcast. (laughs) Book Club Members. Yeah. What is it? What's it called? Book Club Member Comics. Yeah, whatever. That's what it's called. Listen to Aubrey. All right. And now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. And this week we're discussing Hellboy, the Silver Lantern Club. This week we're talking about issues one through three. Story by Mignola and Chris Robertson. Art by Ben Stenbeck and Christopher Mitten. Colors by Michelle Madsen and letters by Clem Robbins. And then, uh, so we've got some cool covers here. We've got the uh, Christopher Mitten trade cover. It's so cool. This which is I a really great like. cover. Yeah, that's really fun. On that cover you get the Ghost of the Flea illustration on the bottom yeah there i was just going to say the illustrations on the bottom kind of hearken to some of the tales that we're going to see from the silver i really like this yeah really nice cool idea for the cover like i i love it when we see those thumbnails of all the concepts and i'm like that would be a cool one that would be a cool one like this is one that if i saw the little thumbnail of it i would have been like man they should have done that (laughs) so i'm glad they did (laughs) so wes uh you were saying uh hey when you cover silver lantern club i want to be on that episode what what is it about this title that you love i don't know i love the short stories i love these little i don't know it's a book club in this they're just telling stories and meeting up and talking to their friends it's cool right i mean it's like it's it's an overarching thing but it's filled with a bunch of little stories so yeah yeah. i I really think it's neat and i and one thing that i really like if we talk about the issue one cover is they've kind of mashed up the artists on this and so this issue one cover it has christopher mitten but it also has mignola too each cover is a combination of both artists so Mignola obviously drew Hellboy, and then Christopher Mitten drew everything in the background. Very good. And even through the stories, they mix in the different Yes, ways. yes. And yes. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. The art like, is so very good. Yes. I very much enjoy the art. And the colors on the covers are by Dave Stewart. So, well, yes. Uh, when Mignola, but the interiors are Michelle Madsen. Right. But, uh, you know, when Mignola does the cover, he's like, hey, Dave Stewart is going to color this. What I love is that we can tell. <laughs> Yeah. everyone's individual styles i think that's yeah neat, it's you know? really cool but they go yeah. together so well yeah yeah all right so we open in london 1953 and we're in the ben stenbeck art so i like this so when we're we're in, in it. when we're in the hellboy broom kind of part of it we're with, we're with the ben stenbeck art cast this so man good. cast cast broom oh this broom oh, young the, broom the, yeah the uncle or, or yeah the, no this yeah. guy well yeah you could do the uncle as well if you want <laughs> I don't know. Do you have anybody? 
Uh, I'll think about it and I'll blurt it be, out in the middle of you saying something else. Yeah, he has to be British. I'm trying to think. I keep thinking of like people that are not British. Yeah, he's got to be British. Yeah, for a young broom. I don't know. Well, you'll come up with something. I will. Like I said, I'm only thinking of Dr. I'll interrupt you. None of them are bright. Uh, <laughs> I like this guy smoking a cigarette in the in the chair. He's cool. Yeah. I don't know about that. Smoking indoors. We see. Who raised you? It's the 50s. We see, oh, true. We see Hellboy and <laughs> Professor Broom. They were smoking indoors in the yeah. 2000s. <laughs> Quit it. Quit doing that. We see Hellboy and Professor Broom walking down the street. They enter Monk's Head Pub. Weren't we supposed to do this ages ago, Hellboy asks? Yes, Broom responds, but then Harry asks us to assist him out in St. Albans, and one thing led to another. I love Broom's expression right there. You know, he's like, right. yeah, we were supposed yeah. to. Yeah. This is a reference to Hellboy and the BPRD stories from 1953, The Phantom Hand, and Rawhead and Bloody Bones. Colin Farrell. Oh, Colin Farrell? He's but, not British. But he's not young. He's old He doesn't now. have to be that young. This is young broom. He's, does, he's not that young. He would look like what Colin Farrell looks like now. Okay. Yeah, I think he's, he's not good. British, though. And don't ever say that he is, because he'll be real mad about it. They could, if he's too old, they could, they could tweak his face with the He's with not. The CGI. He looks great. What are you talking about? He looks great. Yeah, so this is a reference to the those BPRD stories, Hellboy and BPRD stories. Uh, they were collected in Hellboy and the BPRD 1953 trade and the 1952 to 1954 omnibus. And we covered these stories on episode 95 of the podcast. I'll link it in the show notes. So those stories take place in February, a few months before this one. So they were supposed to come here, but instead they were with Harry doing all those other missions. Professor Broom introduces Hellboy to his uncle Simon. Hellboy is meeting him for the first time, but we've met Simon before in the Witchfinder series. The Reign of Darkness, as well as the Rasputin miniseries, The Voice of the Dragon. Broom tells Simon of the events of these two short stories, and we get some nice flashback panels by Stenbeck. Um, yeah, do you remember sweet. these stories? The Phantom Hand and Rawhead and Bloody mm-hmm. Bones? Do you remember I those? remember everything, John. <laughs> I'm good at remembering things. You know that about me. Oh, you see that little sigil that uh, Broom is holding up right there? I do. Mm-hmm. That's the one that Dale Bigford made that I was okay, talking about. Okay, I know yeah. what that oh, cool. is. Yeah. You yeah, have he, that over yeah, there. Yeah, he made that one. No, yeah. I don't have that You don't have that one? No, I, I wish I, I had I thought you one. did. No, that's a different Why one. did I think that? You're thinking of a different medallion. Maybe so, but I like this one. Yes, it's very cool. Broom goes to elaborate on his tail but simon interrupts ah lad but this takes me back it's almost like the old time sitting here round this table with glasses in hand sharing stories of hauntings and the like if i close my eyes it almost seemed like i was back with the silver lantern club again kit, and- kit harrington oh that would okay. be great okay there you go. okay oh yeah yeah that's good. sorry Bro- go ahead <laughs> Um, Hellboy and Broom are surprised by this. They didn't know the pub was the meeting place of the Silver Lantern Club. There were allusions to this club at the end of the Sarah Jewell mystery that we read back on episode 163. Remember when she was like, hey, Eddie, we'll just start our own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Simon mentions that the club was there for a decade, and they didn't just swap stories. They also got caught up in each other's adventures. And we see a picture of the Silver Lantern Club. Um, I don't know who all these people are. I was thinking... I was thinking that the three women are Sarah Jewell, Marie Therese, and Honor Grant. Um, as we read the story, we're going to find out. Actually, this one in the middle is Lady Bye. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what happened to Marie Therese. I guess she wasn't an official member of the Silver Lantern Club. And Great I don't... frames in this issue, by the way. Oh, excellent wow. frames. Yeah, if yeah, you look the at all, there's so many panels where there's just some excellent, just yeah, very really lovingly good. depicted 
picture <clears throat> frames. And then as far as the guys, I know we've got uh, Reginald Singh in there, Simon Broom and Ed Gray. I don't know who mm-hmm. all the other guys are. Um, they have fantastic mustaches, they do, except yeah. for this one guy who's got a beard and no mustache. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's two guys with no mustache. Wait, isn't that Simon, though? Yeah, I think that's Simon. Yeah, but you know how I feel about a beard with no mustache. (laughs) Just grow the mustache or shave the beard. It's just a chin strap. It's not good. (laughs) Um, So Simon says... He's kind of the nerd of the group, you know? A little bit. He is. He he is. is. I want to come back to this, uh, but that's really good, Wes. Um, So Simon says if they get another round, he'll tell them of one of their adventures. Kit Harrington orders another round. Yeah, he's like, Marman... (laughs) This is also like Hellboy like through this whole book like acts like a little kid, but he is a little kid. He's a little kid in this. He's right, a little kid that looks yeah. like a grown man yeah. that looks like that a looks demon. like a grown man smokes cigarettes and drinks beer. He's smoking a cigarette. <laughs> like, <laughs> he might as well be like a little kid just getting like a bunch of sodas, right? Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna drink another one. Awesome. Simon starts telling his story. He talks about coming to London to see a scientific demonstration. This was in the early days of experimentation with wireless telegraphy, like telegraphs. Telegraphy? Yeah. telegraphy? yeah, but like, telegraphy? I don't know how you pronounce telegraphy? that because I've never seen that word. I don't know either. Great. Years before Marconi developed a radio transmitter. Yes, that was in 1894. Um, so that is actual, that's an actual fact. So it's fun. Um, so Simon is watching this demonstration. These guys are attempting to receive a transmission from their pal Anderson. And when they flip the switch... There's this chanting frog type language. Oh, no. It's like that Teshethuan language. That's not good. Coming from the device. Or like the Enochian language, right? Oh, that's what it is. You're right. It's Enochian. Good job, Wes. I don't know if 100% of it is, but I don't know. I love that everyone, like, they think it's working. Yeah. They're also all like, yeah, good job, yeah. guys. <laughs> it's like, it's totally not working. I love this idea that, like, they're like, Anderson, what the devil are you babbling into the transmitter? And he's just saying nonsense. But but you see, Anderson yeah. isn't saying anything. He's not saying anything. He's just holding it up. But everyone's like, mm-hmm. remarkable, and all this kind of stuff, right? All the spectators are writing in their notebooks and asking questions. Simply remarkable, Simon says. Yeah, no, the, the look on his face, is, he's all smug. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, Simon. Yeah. <laughs> I just saw something cool. super excited about it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, his smile right after he's... Uh, he's got he's, a cool story he's yeah. going to tell, but they're already telling cool stories before he gets there. It's like he just want, he's just collecting these stories to go, go there to prove himself to the Silver Lantern. Sure, thing. sure. Um, he's all excited to tell everyone. When he walks in, Reginald Singh is telling a story about shooting some tiger creature. I thought this was a reference to something, but I couldn't find it. I think um, it, I think it might be a reference to something. You know, I was uh, I was going back through, God, what I was trying to find all of Reginald Singh's appearances, and I was going back through Rasputin, Voice of the Dragon, or Witchfinder, Gates of Heaven. I don't remember which one it was, and there was like uh, in one of the stories there was like a green ghost tiger, nice in one panel. Okay. So I was like, maybe that's what he's talking about. I don't know. Maybe. I'll bring it up later. But in the third story, there's a reference to like a, a fictional artist, poet that Mignola made up. And that guy died of a tiger attack as well. So I was like, I don't. Oh, okay. 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 Good catch. Ed Gray and Sarah Jewell are also there. And Ed Gray is not in a good mood. They're discussing a possession case that has been eluding them. And I'm convinced that they are behind it somehow, Ed Gray says. Simon tries to discuss the demonstration he saw, but Singh, he interrupts him and he asks Gray what he means by they. Gray says the demonic entity they were exercising escaped, 
but Gray believes the Heliopic Brotherhood was responsible for summoning it. I love that Gray like does this. I love it that Gray does this. He's like, good lord, not this again. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Steady on, Gray. Must it always be the Heliopic Brotherhood with you? I love all the reactions from everybody around the table, too. Yeah, you know what I mean? really good. Gray is so emotional. He's yeah. Like, <laughs> now see here, the lot of you. I did not come here to be insulted. He, like, Why, Eddie, why do you normally go to be insulted? <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. Simon's like, making fun of Ed Gray is jelly good fun, everybody. But let me tell you about this science thing that I saw. He describes the demonstration from earlier. And he talks about that they, they heard that weird voice. They ask him what the voice said. I'm not entirely certain, Simon answers. It had a sound of Latin or Farsi. Megalip, perhaps. Gray asks if Broom knew what time the voice started speaking, and Simon, from his notes, he knows it was ten on the dot. You don't suppose, Sarah Jewell asks. I do indeed, Gray responds. Broom, you need to take us to the site of this demonstration immediately, Gray says. You heard the man, Simon. Get the lead out. Sarah Jewell follows. I love oh, you that. wanted an adventure. Sarah you got Jewel one now, a, buddy. She's such a cool cat, you know, Sarah Jewell. She is. Oh, yeah. She's always smoking a cigar or whatever. That's too woke yeah, for like me. Um, a woman in a comic book? Too woke. Uh, I know. Women. What can you do? No. I love how Gray, like, he practically picks up Broom and starts pushing him out the door. And Broom is like, why? Because that was not a human voice you heard, Gray says. So as they walk, Gray and Jewel tell Broom that they were dealing with their exorcism at the same time as the demonstration. Jewel said she wanted to use a rite inspired by Cherokees that she learned, but Gray wanted bell, book, and candle. The phrase bell, book, and candle refers to a Latin Christian method of excommunication by anathema, imposed on a person who has committed an exceptionally grievous sin. Evidently introduced by Pope Zachary around the middle of the 8th century, the rite was once used by the Roman Catholic Church. So that's like where they're like, be gone, or whatever. What do they say in the exorcist over and over? Yeah. The power of Christ compels you. (laughs) Yeah, that's what what that anathema is. Man. Yeah. I read the more of the description. It sounds like they they would have like a whole bunch of priests with candles walking around, and then one person like reading the book, and one person chiming the bell, and then everybody would blow out the candle at the same time. Oh, wow. Okay. So they managed to get the demon out of this old woman. I like this panel uh, with the big green like flames or whatever it is that's happening and the way they show the so the dynamic escaping. Yeah. yeah well yeah. There, it looks like i mean it the way that uh sarah jewel is like having she's kind of bringing her arms up over her face and her dress is flapping in the right, wind and yeah his cape is flapping in the wind and it's just a very it's very like animation you know i can see this in an in animated series yeah, and it, it's so flawless. Like, we didn't even talk about it. We're in the Christopher Mitten art now. Oh, It's yeah. really good. So we started mm-hmm. off in the Ben Stenbeck, and then when Broom starts telling his story and we go to the Silver Lantern Club, then it's the Christopher Mitten stuff, which is so fantastic because Christopher Mitten's done a lot, bunch of the Witchfinder stuff. Witchfinder. 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 <laughs> and he's also done uh, Rise of the Black Flame, where we first met Sarah Jewell. I thought that was really cool. I like how his style back. is just a bunch of scribbledy lines. Yeah, yeah. But it looks so good. It looks really good. It looks it great. Looks I know. And Michelle Manson's colors are just I like fucking it. knocking it out the park. Yes. Mm-hmm. The thing that they were exercising escaped from the old woman, but they also heard the language that Broom described. When they arrive, the scientists are still messing with the device. It's got like a big phonograph thing on the top where the sound is coming out. And you see that first word, megalip? 
See, that's what Broom was saying. He was like, maybe Megalip? Like, that's the only word that he oh, heard. It says right. Magilp. Yeah, but he got it wrong Magilp. or whatever. But anyway. Zoran Golagamag. <laughs> so Simon introduces all of them. The scientists know something is wrong with the device, but they don't know where the signal is coming from. They shut off the transmitter. If you gentlemen will step back to a safe distance, we will deal with this, Grace says. Okay. And ask Sarah Jewel for the breviary. That's the liturgical book used for the exorcism and all that. She's like, I think we should do the other thing. And he's like, yeah, okay. I'll jot that down. Yeah. (laughs) So noted. Fucking rude. (laughs) So noted. Yeah. As they go to approach the device, Simon goes over with the scientists to learn more about how their apparatus works. When Gray and Jules start the bell book and candle approach, this blue skeletal specter emerges from the phonograph bell. And uh, I really like all this. Um, it tries to swipe at Ed Gray, too, and Sarah Jewel, like, pushes him out of the way. That's pretty cool. Pretty good. Yeah, like, breaks the ground or something. I don't know. Yeah. Blows dust well, it's like or ectoplasm or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. this is totally something you could see in, like, Ghostbusters or something. It's Yeah, it's, like, yeah. poltergeisty and... But I like how, like, when the demon pops out, like, the, the scientist is like, good lord, and Broom's all like... Oh, yeah, but uh, that being the case, uh, wouldn't it be possible to... He's still, <laughs> <laughs> he's still focused on trying to figure out how the thing works. Yeah, I want, Okay, so when I was first reading this, I thought he was just there. I thought he was just keeping him calm, you know? Right, right. But he is really trying to get some information. So Sarah Jewel decides to try her way. Well, because he's like, hey, li- listen, little lady, I was taking care of that. And she's like, no, <laughs> no, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's the case. Let's, we're going to try things my way over here. She pulls these circular talismans from her bag. I don't have the exact gear that my medicine man used, but these should work in a pinch. Intention is the key, she says, and she gives one to Ed Gray and recites a rite. And they hold them up, and there's some sort of crackle sound effect nice. that comes out of them. I thought that was really cool. Like, Pretty what's good. happening yeah, let's there? Think, are yeah. they like the, um, there's like those chimes. I'm going to forget where they're from, but. I feel right. like they're from somewhere. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they're on like they're usually on they're usually on strings or like a leather band, and you chime them together to clear. Right. Yeah. Like a room or something of certain. But energy. they're holding these up. They're, they're talismans. Right. Yeah, they're definitely like talismans. They're not ringing when they're holding them. That's for sure. But that, yeah, the, maybe that's the like a the sound that they're making though, like a chime or something. It's interesting. Yeah, that's what I thought, but. They wouldn't make a chime if they were holding them, but yeah. Maybe they would because they're magic. Yeah. Yeah, they're magic. They're magic. (laughs) This doesn't seem to work either. The specter is able to push them back. He's screaming now. That's worse, I think. And it's changing color. Like, it's escalating. You know what I mean? It went from, from, like, blue blue to green to to orange. You know what I mean? Like, it's really cool. It's got a thousand Mm -hmm. mouths now. Yeah. And I like it. Mouths. What are we going to do, Sarah Jewel asks. If we don't prevent it from becoming fully incarnate, there'll be no stopping it, Gray responds. Suddenly, at the height of its power, the creature blinks out of existence. Uh-huh. Foot. I, li- <laughs> I like her face. She's like, okay. All right. Like, uh, the devil? I don't know. The devil? We see Simon Broom with a big old plug. This is also him telling the story. Like, we don't even, you know, like. Sure. But yeah. Sarah Jewel and Ed Gray were there, I guess. Just I don't know. Just unplug it. They're not there right now. With, with oh, Tell sure. The I guess you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the scientists shut off the transmitter, but it was still plugged in. The creature needed a live current to possess the device. So we cut to Simon. He's telling the story after the fact at the monk's head. We tried to tell the scientists how they might improve their device, but they weren't keen on hearing them just yet. 
Can't imagine why, old boy, Singh says, while the others are laughing. I really like that. Awesome. But yeah. it's also like, that's why they didn't develop the transmitter. Like, they were onto it. And then this happened, and then they got scared and didn't do it, and then Marconi discovered it later. Because oh, I was thinking, yeah. like, well, then why aren't these guys in the history books? But this kind of wraps it up right there. You know what I mean? They didn't want to go any yeah. further, I guess. Hey, John, you're in this. Cl- you're in the Silver Lantern Club. Oh, is that me right there laughing? Yeah, yeah, I, that's you. You're down, here, you're down here on the right. Oh, oh yeah. wow, that you're is me. Right. Holy crap, I am there. I'm like doing a podcast or something. (laughs) They're like, who are you talking to over there? And I'm like, the audience. (laughs) Like how Sarah Jules like, you know, well, Eddie, looks like we were both wrong this time. Had to happen eventually. He goes, I still say the Helioptic Brotherhood must somehow be behind it. I love that. That's a trope. It's so funny. In the end, they raised their glasses and toasted to my good health. Though truth be told, I don't think any of them really understood what I had done exactly. Uh, but they're all cheering at Simon. That's a great little panel That's right cute. there. He's like just sitting there and they're all like, here, here. Let's all chug a bunch of beer. Yeah, they're um, standing for him. They're getting up. So we cut back to the Monk's Head bar in the 50s with the Ben Stenbeck art. Old Simon Broom is talking to Professor Broom and Hellboy. Those were golden years. Good times indeed. So you stopped an apocalypse by just pulling a plug, Hellboy asked. I doubt that it was as simple as that, Broom responds. In my experience, exercising demons from inanimate hosts is much more complicated than living. Hold that thought, Trevor, my boy, Simon Mm -hmm. interrupts. But you've just reminded me of another time that the member of the Silver Lantern Club ran afoul of a possessed object. And if one of you can get another round in, then I'll tell you about the time that Major Singh and I found ourselves facing down a demon possessing a marionette. Get out of town. Not another one. (laughs) I love it. Get out of town, a haunted puppet, Hellboy ass. Barman, another round. Broom says. So we get a very we get a very different Hellboy than what we're used to, right? Because it's this is like right. little kid Hellboy. Yeah, he's like excited about these I've stories. never heard of such a thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, where he's, he's like, like oh yeah, haunted puppets. I'm, I I've seen plenty of that. Yeah, like the Hellboy <laughs> we know would be like, yeah, whatever. I'll yeah, fucking punch it in the face. <laughs> <laughs> but a couple things I like about this whole interaction here. Um, obviously the puppet thing we've been talking about puppets so much on this podcast and even on the baltimore podcast there were puppets in there too so i like that uh that comes back around but this line so you stopped an apocalypse by pulling a plug that makes me think hellboy's thinking about the right hand of doom and all this stuff has he known does he know about any of that stuff yet i don't think he guess not at this point now i think he might have learned i think he might know a little bit of it because this is 1953 so we've already had Hellboy 1952. We've also had the Midnight Circus. Hmm. Um, so I think maybe I, I I wondered about that line. I wondered if he was yeah. thinking like, oh, maybe it could be simple for me to escape all this. Or I don't know. Uh, I yeah. I read more into that line than maybe I should have. Another reoccurring thing that I think is funny is that Broom tries to talk and then Hellboy is reinforcing Simon to keep <laughs> brambling. You know what I mean? Like every time Broom starts to steer the conversation his way. Hellboy will interrupt and put the attention back on Simon so he can keep talking. And that's what happens here at the end, too. Um, let's look at this issue two cover. So, again, we get a great combo Another of combo. Christopher Mitten and Mignola with Hellboy and then this giant spider creature. Mm-hmm. That's a big shelob, John. What's the creepiest spider thing that you've seen? Oh, the creepiest? Um, like in real life? Or no, or in, 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 in anything. I don't know. I don't really think of spiders as being creepy. I think of them as being like puppy dogs. 
I don't really think about them as being creepy either, but I remember you mentioned Shelob when I saw Lord of the Rings the first time. Oh, did uh, that freak you out? And and uh, the very first time I saw Return of the King in the theater and the Shelob scene, like it, I was anxious. Oh like, no! In that scene, like it's that's a really good scene. Like I mean, when you watch it now, you know what's going to happen. Sure. But I mean, it's it stabs Frodo but and it rolls him up in the thing. Had you, you know? never read the books? I had read the book, but that doesn't happen in the book, does it? Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. It, it happens does. In a, yep. It actually happens yeah. in two towers. Yeah, but I remember that giving me a lot of anxiety when I first saw it, just because like they right make it, they make it pretty creepy. They make it pretty scary. Um, I was also thinking about it. Made me think of. Hellboy, the Lost. What was that one called? The book that we read, where they were in the desert. Oh right, uh, the Lost Kingdom or something like that. What was that? God, I don't remember what that book was called. It was really good too, but there was a there was a spider thing in that one yeah, too. Yeah, a that bunch was, of spiders that was there. really messed up. Also, where they were like all tangled in the web and everything, yeah. and they couldn't get out. And, and then a big shelob came. A big shelob came, and it kind of freaked me out. So yeah. Oh no! So spiders don't really freak me out or anything. I mean, I they're great. There's but... there's one right there. Hey, spider! Uh, she lives right there above but... the door. She gets all the mosquitoes that come in here. If you're walking around in the woods in the middle of the night and you can't see, and you almost walk into a giant. Oh yeah, no, web, that's no fun. That's a little freaky. Yeah, <laughs> that is. That is. It, it is. It is more like. Ah! Yeah, that's no fun. <laughs> so so you're not. Yeah, that's more like when you can't see where the spider is. Yeah, yeah. Be kind of a thing. If you can see the spider, you're like, oh, there's the spider. Yeah. One time I got bit by a spider and I had to take medicine for it. One time my brother got bit by a spider and he ended up getting pneumonia. It was bad. But, and I felt very disappointed in the spider because I was like, look, you guys, I'm always so cool to you. I'm always so, I'm always so chill to you, spiders. Why Hellboy you the Lost Army. This? It's called okay. Hellboy the Lost Army. Oh, the Lost Army. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a creepy spider sequence in there. Oh, so one time. I was coming home from work and I had to stop and get food and I was like getting back in the car and I'm wearing like black pants and I'm getting in a dark car and I look down and I see the scariest looking thing on my leg. I think it's this giant spider and it's just on my leg and I start screaming. Oh no, Aubrey. I screamed so... I, I, it was a sound I've never heard come out of me before. And I couldn't open the door because it was locked and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't open the door. And I finally got it open and got the door and I got the, and I brushed the thing out of the car and it wasn't even a spider. It was a stink bug. <laughs> that was a great story. Aubrey. <laughs> All right. So issue two, uh, let us know your creepy spider stories. Or no, I will not have stories. this ma- malign. <laughs> I will oh, not no, have no, this look. maligning of spiders. No, no, no. It's nothing to do with the spider. It's just, it goes back to the, I didn't know it was there. And I look down and I'm like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. My favorite spider story is Jenny Nicholson's story about when she goes to get a big giant, sh- uh, I don't know if it's a shelob. I don't know what it is. It's just a big giant stuffed spider. It's like from a some other yeah. book series. I don't <laughs> even remember what it is, but it's a big giant spider and she goes to get it. And uh, it's a fantastic tale. And it's... Uh, Go watch that Jenny, on Jenny Nicholson. She's got a oh, YouTube yeah. channel. I'll, sh- I'll share that video. That's yeah, a good it's one. really good. All right. So issue two opens. Broom is trying to tell Simon about some encounter with an apparition that he had with Harry in a corridor. Uh, I was trying to figure out if that was a reference to one of the Harry Broom stories that we've already read, um, but I couldn't find any similarities. So when he mentions that, the corridor was closed on both ends. Simon interrupts. Good old locked room mystery, eh? That takes me back. Reminds me of the case of the stolen gemstone and the unfortunate affair of the horse murders. What? Like a horse murdering people or someone murdering horses? 
I think it's a horse is murdering people. <laughs> As I was saying, Broom interrupts, Harry suspects that it might be a specter of a condemned prisoner from the days when the Newgate prison opened beneath. Ah, I see the confusion, Hellboy. Simon interrupts again and takes over the conversation. The horses themselves were murdered, which initially seemed to have no connection to the theft of the gem. My associates thought they were investigating two unrelated cases, then suspected they were approaching the same case from the opposite ends, but the truth was even stranger than that. We go to the Monk's Head pub. We cut- smoking cigars indoors. We cut to Terrible. the Silver Club. Terrible. Around the table, we see Ed Gray, Sarah Jewell, Simon Broom, Major Singh, and Lady Bai. I think More this- than one woman. <laughs> too woke. I think this is the first time that we meet Lady Bai, right? Have we seen her before? Um, I can't remember. But basically, they're sitting around and they're talking about their current cases. I think this is so cool that they yeah, just get around good. and they're like, hey, yeah. well, I'm looking at this. Well, what do you think about this? So Lady Bai, she's looking for some limestone creature. It's been mauling horses, but now people are going missing. Ed Gray is investigating the merger of Major Singh's friend, Roderick Harrington. He went to the Himalayas, brought back a giant gemstone, and then was found stabbed to death in a locker room with the gemstone missing. Lady Bai mentions red welts on the dead horses, and Ed Gray reports red welts found near the stab wounds on Harrington. So they chug down their beers and team up. Nice. Or maybe just Sarah Jewell. <laughs> I like how she's like, hot damn, let's get moving then, friend. She's just like chugging her beer down there all just like, what? <laughs> we cut to the murder scene for Roderick Harrington and the crew go over the details. The chimney is too small for anyone to get through. The door was locked and the key was in the dead man's pocket. Lady Bai, she notices this blue-green shard of something on the ground. Gray reports that only the gemstone was missing. He hasn't been able to find anything supernatural about the case. However, a junior member of Sir Roderick's expedition has known ties to the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> them dun, dun, again. Dun. <laughs> okay, buddy. Sarah's like, uh, them again. Oh my god, it's so good. The team decide that they don't see any connection, so they decide to examine things on the other end. Uh, so we cut to the horse murder scenes. Four horses have been murdered, and the injuries look like Sir Roderick's, but larger. Lady Bai says she thought the creature might be something that the Golden Crane Society had encountered. All right, so we've learned about the Golden Crane Society from Hellboy and the BPRD Ghost Moon. What a little society is going on. Yeah. In Ghost Moon, we met Bao Ji, who was a member. Susan Zhang may also have ties to that organization. And remember that guy from the Sarah Jewell mystery, Mr. Wang or whatever? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was also a silver Golden Crane Society member. So is Lady Bai connected to the Golden Crane Society, or is she one of them, or maybe she just knows who they are? I don't know. You know it's a cool society you should join? Book Club Member Comics. <laughs> That's it. Society. That's there you true. Go. Yeah. But I love all the Christopher Minton art. We we haven't really talked about it, but uh, when, in the Roderick murders, there's like so much detail in there, you know, all the all the stuff that's... Uh, it's gross. But I like this with Lady Bai and Edward Gray looking at the horse murders. They almost have like a Mulder Scully moment here. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? And Gray and Lady Bai are playing those respective roles. Um, Gray Mulder thinks that some supernatural element was let loose on Sir Roderick and got on into the city. But Scully, Lady Bai, says that it's a creature they're looking for, not a murderer. There was no motive to kill the horses, unlike getting the gemstone. She tells Gray that he's grasping at straws. Sarah Jewell interrupts the squabbling. Scully, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> we need to go in there, she says, gesturing to some sort of apartment. 
Jewel found out from the locals that there's an awful smell in the attic and the landlord is nowhere to be found. Mm. Well, I also like how when um, Brian Broom or not Brian, not Broom, um, Gray, Gray, thank you. Uh, they're like discussing their theories. Sarah Jewel just kind of looks up, sees people over there, walks over to them and gets some information. <laughs> right. Well, they're theorizing <laughs> well they're be. arguing she's like perhaps this is where the creature makes its nest and he's like or where the curse or spirit let loose by the killer has drifted <laughs> they're kind of just like yeah they're still going at back it yeah but that's a good point aubrey because while they're figuring trying to figure things out sarah jewel goes and gets the real information it's kind of similar to what happened in the last story where Simon Broom went and got the real information while they were trying to figure out right, the exorcism right. or whatever. So I thought that was kind of neat. So they go up to the attic. It's a big Shelob situation. They find all these mummified bodies there. Uh, I thought this was a really great scene. Are they um, mummified or are they just stunned? Or well, they're like, webbed um, up, right? They're like webbed up. They yeah. look like mummies. They're all webbed up like... Like the hobbits in like, yeah. the Hobbit movie. <laughs> yeah, well, not he, the Hobbit movie, just, but in oh, the no, Lords the, of the Rings movie. No, the Hobbit movie. Do you remember? They I don't in, recognize those movies. Okay, in the book, do you remember they went to Markwood Forest? Yes, and, I do uh, remember that. Giant spiders all wrapped yes. them all up. Very yeah. good. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so while they're walking through the attic, Sarah Jewel steps on something. Edward Gray pulls out a match. I like how he calls it. He says, I always carry a case of Lucifers with me. Good. Is that what you call matches, I guess, back then? I think that's what they call them in Britain. Oh, okay. That's what is I it call a brand? Now. Is that what you call them? Okay. I'm bringing it back. I'm going to start calling random stuff that. <laughs> oh, I got a big Pretzels. package of Lucifers here. I pull out some oranges. <laughs> start peeling them. I like how he likes that match with just flicking his thumb. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Can you do that? Tell us if you can do that. If anybody can do that, let me know. That's a pretty cool trick. You have a pretty rough thumb. Yeah. You gotta have <laughs> to an great thumb. When he lights the match and shines it on the floor, good lord, he says, and he sees a bunch of remains down there. And then they see the giant Shelob spider. Is that match dipped in gazeling? Because that is a big flame for a match. Yeah, it's a powerful match. That's one powerful match. You can, you can swing it around. You can swing it around. It makes a big things. flaming arc. <laughs> Bigger than in like a firework would. They're called Lucifers, so maybe it's like a special Oh, maybe it's a, yeah. It could be a special know. match. Yeah, sure. it could be a special Maybe it's match. a magic match or a something A magical like that. match. That's why he's so obsessed Gray. with magic. There's a big Shelob sure. coming at them. Yeah. Damnation, Gray says. Holy hell, Sarah Jewel responds. So Lady Bai figures out that the... Damn me for a fool. The crystal fragments on the carpet were pieces of an egg. Yes. Scully, you're not going to believe this. So basically, he died of a heart attack. Somebody crept up behind him, sawed his head off, and then glued it back on all in the space of 30 seconds. So does that make sense to you? No. So we get this great scene as the spider is attacking them. And so Lady Bai says the Himalayan crystal spider has poor vision. The Himalayan what? Crystal spider. (laughs) Uh, it, it, it can't see them, but it can feel them. But it's going right for them. Sarah Jo goes, it seems like it sees just fine to me. Time to drop <laughs> in the, the clip of Dr. Grant. Don't move. Can't see us if we don't move. I like how uh, Lady Bai is like, no telling which one of us it will attack next. And it goes straight for Sarah Jo. She's like, lucky me. There's like a recurring <laughs> thing that it always goes for Sarah Jewel. In the middle of all this, Gray sees that some of the people that are webbed up are still alive. Ugh, like in Aliens. Oh, yeah. There's another one. 
yeah. Lady Bi comes up with a plan. She goes, Sarah, you need to lure the creature away from us for a moment. And she's like, why do I always have to end up being bait? So she's like, come over here, genuine American beef on the hoof. <laughs> on the hoof? Is on the hoof an expression? I don't know. It's really good. Um, but I love her expression on this bottom panel where she's like, is there more to this plan than me getting eaten by a giant spider? <laughs> Suddenly, stunk Gray and Lady Bi come in and stab the spider right before it can get to They Sarah stunked Jewel. it. They stunked it. Yeah, they stunked it. They uh, stunked it real good. After the spider's dead, they unwrap all the people that are still alive out of the webs. I like that bottom panel. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. That they get to save some of these people. Mm-hmm. What's the quality of life, though? Let's be real. I mean... If you've already been juiced a little bit. <laughs> well, maybe you're just paralyzed and you'll get over it. Maybe you'll, you'll get like, over it a little bit. And you'll just have nightmares for the rest of your life yeah. about a giant spider. That's all right. Yeah, they're addicted to, what is it? What kind, What type of crystal is this? What type of crystal is this? You got any more of that crystals? You got any more of that Himalayan crystals? They got it. They're going into the local, like, <laughs> the local shops. And they're like, you got any crystals? So we cut back to the Silver Lantern Club. Sarah Jewell is lighting up her cigar, and she's like, wasn't the first time I almost got eaten by a giant nasty creature, and I'm sure it won't be the last. So I want to talk about this, because when we learn about Sarah Jewell in Rise of the Black Flame, she talks about fighting a manticore and those were-gorillas or whatever, (laughs) the uh, were-yetis. Were-yetis. The were-yetis and stuff like that. And then... um, Isn't that just a yeti? Well, it's a man, and it turns into a yeti. So were-yetis. That's why I said that. Okay, I thought all yetis were were-yetis, but they're not. I don't know, are they? It's like like squares and rectangles, right? Uh, Yeah, I guess so. And then we, there was also another story where, like, there's her and Edward Gray are fighting some giant worm, like, in the middle of the street. And I think it comes after her in that story. Okay. Too. So anyway, I think that's, like, a recurring thing. If it wasn't before, it is now. Yes, it for is. For sure. So they all figure out that the gemstone was really an egg. And it was uh, dormant for centuries in the cold temperature. But when Roderick, Roderick brought it back and put it above his fireplace, it hatched. That's why it tore down all the everything above the fireplace and then, you know, while it was small, it killed Sir Roderick and then as it became a giant Shelob monster spider, it ate all the horses and all of that. So that's how it got big, eating the horses. Yes. Ooh. Fortunately, we managed to free the rest of its vic- human victims in time, Sarah Jewell says. A toast to the conquering heroes, Simon Broom responds, and they all lift their glasses and chug a big old beer. <laughs> We cut back to the Silver Lantern Club with Hellboy and Broom listening to Simon Broom. Truth be told, I think that Sir Edward still suspected that the Heliopic Brotherhood was somehow behind it all. His obsession with them never really let go, though its grip on him did loosen from time to time. I thought that was a funny line because the way that Grey dies is he literally is gripped by something and pulled down because he's investigating the Heliopic Brotherhood. So anyway, (laughs) a giant spider creeping around Victorian London? Come on, pull the other one, Hellboy says. Actually, Hellboy, Broom says, the Himalayan crystal spider is quite real. And I should know, I ran afoul of one in Tibet years ago. It was during the war and I was on a mission for the special operations executive. Tibet, Simon Broom interrupts. That reminds me of another time that Lady Bai and Sir Edward found themselves investigating the same mystery from opposite ends. It transpired that a Tibetan sorcerer had traveled to London in search of one of the fabled Lipu daggers. I guess I'll go for another round, Hellboy says. I like how (laughs) he puts his hand on the painting and he's like tilting the painting. 
I like, think, I think he's making a mess. Of he's, that's what I'm saying. He's kind of yeah, he's but he kind of buzzed. The painting as he does it. I think yeah, I think he's kind buzzed. of buzzed right there. He's had a little. He's had a couple too many. I um, like this upside down horseshoe too. It was in the fir- it was in the first p- story. Oh too. yeah, yeah, yeah. We see that little detail there. Simon Broom men- mentions the Lipu daggers. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, I remember I that. Mm-hmm. What yeah. is it? I remember so many it's things, a John. Made by Lipu. <laughs> I'm so good at remembering things. Oh, uh, come on, guys! From, uh, the Phantom from the Phantom. Uh... It's not the one that's going after uh, Daimyo, is it? Yes. Good job, Opry. Yeah. The life, job, life Opry. Dagger. That's the one that you needed to kill the Wendigo. Mm-hmm. It was in BPRD Hell on Earth: The Long Death. It also appeared in Abe Sapien: The Drowning. Remember, Abe went down and he actually recovered it. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah, the Lifeboat Dagger. We've seen it a couple times. I like that it got referenced there. We got a great cover here. God, I love this Christopher Mitten cover with the uh, Ghost of the Flea in the background. Yeah, really nice sweet. stuff. And we get another Hellboy by Mignola in the front. He, Mignola must have just done these illustrations of Hellboy being bored listening. Yeah, to, his, <laughs> right, to the stories. So we return to the Monk's Head Pub. We see a little scooter there. I was like looking this up. So in the fifties, they did have these little like Vespas and stuff. I thought that was really cool. Nice. They put that in there. It's kind of funny that how she's like blowing this guy's like hat off or whatever. Uncle Simon is finishing another story. Broom really thinks that they should be getting back to their investigation, but Hellboy returns with another round of beers, and Uncle Simon is really enjoying catching up with Broom and Hellboy. I love Broom's expression. Right? It clearly tells you that. uh, it's been more Uncle Simon just rambling old stories the entire time. Well, I also like how like he starts to tell a story at the end of the issue, but then like when we start the next issue, it's a completely different story. Right. Different <laughs> story. Like, I know, I like that too. He's just been going and going, right? Who knows how many stories they've had to listen to. They're also on at least beer four, because there's ten glasses there. There's three. Oh yeah, there. no, oh, yeah. yeah. There's a ton of beers there. I think it's like yeah, definitely at least four or five. And then I'm pretty sure uh, Simon's had probably had a couple more before they even showed up. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, For sure, right. 100%. Hellboy comments on the weird painting, Death Riding an Elephant by Walter Heath. So I love this version of it by Ben Stenbeck. Obviously, we've seen this in Hellboy in Hell. So in Hellboy in Hell, we saw it in Hell, right? In Ed Gray's house. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was in, it was in that library, right? Or am I... Crazy. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, house? Yeah. so Ed Gray must have really liked that painting. Um, yeah. What, what else do you remember? Part of about? like, what is hell made at? Like, hell is is it built of memories or you know who knows? You know, such right? Yeah, yeah. Point. That's really cool. Wal- Walter Heap. I like. I think Walter Heap is supposed to be Mignola's William Blake. I I don't know. Oh, that's okay, was, okay. That's what I always felt like but yeah william heap so then in the first trade paperback of hellboy in hell walter heap gets a little um biography or like it talks about him a little bit it talks right about, like how he died and he died of a tiger attack and that's why i didn't know if that was maybe a reference to that in the first story right we're talking about the tiger like yeah. yeah good job so Wes. it could have been maybe i don't know you know it's just always these little eggs that you know are easter eggs yeah really... spider eggs um, and then you and then you bring then, them home and then they they turn into a giant shelob and eat your horses yeah exactly <laughs> and then <laughs> william heap in the hellboy universe also wrote all the prose about a um mechanical head so it was oh like you're right head, like that's funny yeah yeah 
Good job there, I think, Wes. I think it's a lot of that, but I think like we see this and then all of a sudden the story is, it accounts to a, to the William Blake ghost of a flea story. So I, I like, I think that's why, I think that's why that, that stuff. Right. Happened. This is okay. me just like totally off on a random professor. Yeah. So Simon says that the painting death, right? An elephant was a gift from heap to the silver lantern club after they helped him with a nasty demonic house cat. I like that one. We get one panel. (laughs) The demonically possessed house cat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But he wasn't the only artist that came to the Silver Lantern Club, Simon continues. There was a case that involved two artists separated by years. And Hellboy's curious, so Simon continues. I like how Broom just puts his head back. He's just like, ah, here we go again. (laughs) So we cut to the Christopher Midden art again in the past. Simon Broom and Honor Grant were in London investigating a haunting on Titchfield Street. So Titchfield Street, I think we've talked about this before. It's a popular street in London. It used to have a lot of garment shops. Um, now I think it just has a lot of like shops and uh, and apartments and stuff like that. They're talking about these hauntings, and Honor Grant thinks that it might be a prank since there have been no injuries as a result. But just then they hear a scream. A woman runs out of an alleyway, and when Grant and Broom look down the alleyway, they see something. I love this panel. Yeah, it's pretty good. Oh, it's so good. God, that is so, so cool. Creepy. Christopher Min's art just lends so well to a scene like this with like seeing something amongst all the laundry stuff or whatever. Yeah, just back there in the back of the alley. So they run after it, and in their pursuit, Grant and Broom quickly lose the creature, but they run into Sarah Jewell. She's there with her associate, Amelia Cartwright-Jones, and she suggests they go have a drink and compare notes. Sarah Jewell always wants to drink and hang out, you know what I mean? She's like, hey, we just ran into you guys. Let's go have some beers and talk about what weird stuff we saw. They meet at the Monk's Head Pub, and Ed Gray is there, too. Jewel says after some digging, she has found accounts of strange things on that street going back a century. Gray says he investigated a while back for a spring-heeled jack, but didn't find anything. Well, Eddie, maybe you just didn't look hard enough, Jewel responds. I love that, like, thing over his head or whatever. <laughs> He's like, like huh? <laughs> Is the spring-heeled jack, is that a reference to something? Yeah, so a spring-heeled jack, that's a like a that's like a crypto what what do you call it? Uh assholes. No, like Bigfoot or whatever. Oh, or, uh, yeah, cryptid. like cryptid. Yeah, cryptid. Yeah, so spring-heeled jack is like a cryptid. It was described by people who claim to have seen him as having a terrifying and frightful appearance with diabolical look, clawed hands, and eyes that resembled red balls of fire. One report claimed that beneath a black cloak, he wore a helmet and a tight-fitting white garment like an oil skin. Many stories also mentioned a devil-like aspect to him. Others said he was tall and thin, with the appearance of a gentleman. Several reports mentioned that he could breathe out blue and white flames, and he wore sharp metallic claws on his fingertips. At least two people claimed that he could speak comprehensible English. So it was like a, a spotting. People were like, oh, I saw the spring-heeled jack or whatever. I mean, yeah. who knows what it was, but remember Monsters in My Pocket? Do you remember that? Oh, man, I love Monsters in My Pocket. Okay, exactly. there you, I used to have one, and it was of a spring-heeled jack, because I would, like, look okay. them all up. They were all based on stuff or whatever, like yeah. werewolves and mummies, and so I, I, re, I clearly remember the spring-heeled jack monster in my pocket. Anyway, I'm glad you, you got that reference, Wes. What do you have in your pocket? Monster in my pocket. They're here. They're everywhere. They're squishy. Monster in my pocket. Deal from Matchbox. Jewel says that her friend Cartwright has also seen the apparition, 
or maybe seen is not the right word. Amelia has synesthesia. This is a perceptual phenomenon in which stimulation of one sensory or cognitive pathway leads to involuntary experiences in a second sensory or cognitive pathway. Awareness of synesthetic perceptions varies from person to person. One common form is known as graphene color synesthesia. This is where people perceive um, letters or numbers to have colors inherently. There's also a spatial sequence or number form of synesthesia where months, numbers of years or days may appear as a three-dimensional map. Synesthetic associations can occur in any combination in any number of senses or cognitive pathways. Um, little is known about how this develops. It's been suggested that it develops during childhood when children are intensively engaged with abstract concepts for the first time, like the grapheme color, spatial sequence, and number form synesthesia. They all involve the first abstract concepts that educational systems require children to learn. Letters and numbers in different colors. You know what I mean? So okay. anyway, I thought that was really interesting. So Amelia says that when she hears music, she sees intense mental images. So this would be a form of projective synesthesia. She makes fantastical sketches when she hears the music, but recently a presence is intruding on her visions. She's felt it all around Titchfield Street, and it's a malevolent and hungry force. Sarah Jewell assures Amelia that they'll get to the bottom of it. Gray has to head out for a demonstration by Major Singh, but Jewell, Grant, and Broom decide to pull their resources, chug a big old mug of beer, and do some paranormal investigating. Nice. The thing that Gray said he's going off to do, was that a reference to something we've seen before? I don't know. He says he's going to go see a demonstration by Major Singh. I don't know that we've seen that. Uh, probably not. I don't know. I mean, this like this whole little short stories are just like, just literally the, the, everything was all different kinds of stories. It really is. There was so many. Uh, when I was, I really had a lot of fun researching this. Um, I'll tell you, I was reading this trade and I had the Witchfinder Volume 2 Omnibus. I had the 5254 Omnibus. I had the Secret Histories Omnibus. I had the Sarah Jewel Mysteries hardcover. I had all those books all around me and I was flipping through all of them, like finding all these characters and all the connections and everything. So it was a lot of fun. It was cool. I love all these like nice collected editions they've come out with. It makes it easier than having to go digging through all your back issues. Right. So we cut to Great Titchfield Street and they're all just sitting there in the dark watching. For some reason, this reminded me of The Burbs. I don't know if we just watched that movie too many times, <laughs> but they're just all sitting there in the dark and Simon's like, I don't see anything. Does anyone else? No, Simon. Not since you asked less than 90 seconds ago, Grant says. Awesome. But Amelia senses a presence and they spot it. Ah, so I, I love the, the appearance of this creature. And I guess um, Christopher Mitten's basing it off the actual illustration by William Blake. Right on. For sure, it's definitely like a, like he referenced William Blake's illustration. And the guy's hand is like, the spirit's hand is like the size of her torso. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really huge. They see the apparition and it's like, it has these like tendrils of smoke or whatever that it kind of leaves behind it. I think that's a really cool effect. I guess Sergio's like, hold it right there. What the devil are? And before she even finished, it's like it says something in another language and it puts its hand up. It's like, no time for you. Lee. Yeah, it just <laughs> kind of dismisses her. I really think that's cool. No, you don't. I want to. But as soon as it turns the corner, it's gone. The gang noticed that something seemed familiar about what it was saying. And it was definitely a creature, not a ghost. Amelia swears that she's seen it before. But where? The next day... Grant and Broom arrive at Amelia's house. They were invited, and Grant has some new info that she's excited to share. 
they knock and there's a delay and well what do you know sarah jewel answers amelia's door buttoning up her dress what's going on here they're definitely suggesting that sarah jewel was up to something I like when um, they come into Miss um, Jones' house. The whole living room is like cluttered with like looks like paintings and boxes and just stuff everywhere. Yeah, that's the art. That's the art life right there. You know yeah. what I mean? That's pretty cool. Yeah, but not like in a hoarder way. No, it in is, a very yeah. organized way, but yeah. still a ton of detail that Christopher Mitten had to put in back there, and then Michelle Madsen had to go in and color all of it. So there's even that star in the background. You see the stars in the background? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's in the background of the Ghost of the Flea, right above the monster in William Blake's illustration. Oh, really? Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. It's like a curtain, like William, like the illustration of the flea ghost is that monster that we saw, and then behind is this curtain. It's got stars all over it, so it's kind of oh, like the right. That's awesome. Great there. catch there. And a bunch of those scenes. So uh, Grant has learned that the language the creature spoke was Enochian, the supposedly angelic language recorded by John Dee, court astrologer to Elizabeth I. I was able to look through Dee's personal accounts of the sessions where he and Edward Kelly used the language to communicate with the angels directly. I I think we've talked about this before. I'm pretty sure we mentioned John John Dee. John Dee's shown up before, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, hit it. Um, Enochian magic is a system of ceremonial magic based on the 16th century writings of John Dee and Edward Kelly, who wrote that their information, including the revealed Enochian language, was delivered to them directly by various angels. Dee's journals contain the record of these workings, the Enochian script, and the tables of correspondence used in Enochian language. Dee and Kelly believe their visions gave them access to the secrets contained within the Liber Logareth, which Dee and Kelly referred to as the Book of Enoch. I know they've been referenced a bunch in these stories. I don't know the exact stories. I was trying to like find that, but I didn't have time. So let me know if you know what that is. I know it's been mentioned. So Amelia comes in as they're talking and she's like, I knew it. I knew that I'd seen it before. Three ladies in one panel. Oh, man. In a comic book? What are the odds of that? That's too woke. That would never happen in a real life. Three (laughs) ladies in the same room. She shows them the Ghost of the Flea picture by William Blake. Yeah. 70 years ago, William Blake regularly attended private services at the home of astrologer John Varley on Great Titchfield Street. Varley would conjure up spirits which only Blake could see and would draw them. Blake claimed that the creature in Ghost of the Flea appeared to him during one of those sessions taunting him hungry for blood blake said that the beast disappeared when the sessions ended but looks like he was wrong perhaps it's been knocking around ever since so that's like true that's like what this the so the description of that piece of art that goes to the flea is the subject is this is from my art from one of my art history books but this is the subject of one of the visionary heads seen and drawn by blake in the company of his friend the artist amateur astrologer john varley so it's like yeah so these visionary heads black chalk and pencil drawings were made in 1818 just like wes said and they were created with john varley so he would like uh john varley would like conjure up these people and then william blake said that he could see them and then he would sketch them among the visionary heads are david solomon uriah nebuchadnezzar socrates julius caesar muhammad merlin Charlemagne, Robin Hood, King Edward I, a bunch of different people, right? Devil, Odin, Satan. Jesus. Yeah, really. Um, they're all in there. 
The most famous of that series is Blake's painting of Ghost of a Flea. According to Varley, the imagery of the flea came to Blake in the 1819 seance. Do you want uh, you want me to add another layer of research to all this, guys? This was actually, all of this was referenced in the Witchfinder short story that we just discussed on episode 162 on our Winter Stories special. There was a story that we read called The Great Blizzard. Oh. Okay. okay. In, in that, it's in the Witchfinder Omnibus 2. And there's Witchfinder. a scene. Witchfinder. <laughs> Witchfinder. There's a scene with Edward Dre. With, uh, Edward Dre? Yeah. It's a Edward, new character we've never heard of, Edward Dre. It's Edward Dre's stunt. Devil. He also goes okay. by Doctor. <laughs> what are the odds? <laughs> that was a good one, Wes. So, Edward Gray and Sarah Jewell, they found a blizzard. Remember, there was like a blizzard and it originated from some ship? Yeah. Or right. something like that? Yeah. So, there's one line in that story. Sarah Jewell says to Ed Gray, you really believe all that bumkum, Eddie? And Gray responds, aren't you the one forever reminding me of the legends that have a basis in fact? Or have you forgotten Ghost of the Flea in Great Titchfield Street? Okay. So, okay. it's referencing what happened in this story. That's in that cool. story. So, anyway... There's another layer of research. That's pretty good. That's a great and, layer. That's and you well loved worth it. it. Everybody loved I it. I did. I did. I loved it a lot. <laughs> so we cut to that night. Now that they've figured it out, they try the banishing spell. Sarah Jewell has the book and candle. She's speaking Enochian for almost a half hour with nothing to show they for. forgot the She's... bell. Uh, yeah, maybe that's why it took so long. No, they forgot the power of friendship. Oh, is that what it was? Yes. <laughs> No, that's actually what happens, right? I know. Because that's look, why I said that. Look out, Amelia yells. And we get that panel of the Ghost of the Flea like materializing behind Sarah Jewel. That is so fucking cool. It's really good. God, that is one of the coolest panels. I love how Christopher Mitten is able to like make it look like it's coming out of the air yeah. or like materializing. Yeah. Like if you zoom in, you see all those little dots in there and the like speckles and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it looks good. God, that it's amazing. Really tremendous stuff. I like all the, the stuff in the room. I know. Yeah. I know, like we're, stuff. we're talking giant about all the ceiling and stuff all in it. Yeah, yeah, that's the art life right there. Yeah. Sarah tries to finish the banishment smell, but it doesn't seem to be working. And the hulking creature is approaching closer and closer. It looks like a big Nosferatu. He does, yeah. Amelia runs to Jewel. I know what's wrong. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry, before we go to that page, I like how Sarah Jewel is like, I said. Yeah. And then continues to. (laughs) Very good. Really good. Does her Enochian. That's pretty good. Anyway, yeah, no, because she's like, oh, I, I know what's wrong. Right, but right before she says, I know what's wrong, that panel right there where it's about to grab her, that is gonna so cool. grab her, yeah. It yeah. just looks so awesome. I love the look of this creature. Good job, William Blake, on designing this creature. <laughs> and she's like, stuffing the other stuff, damn it. She's speaking Enochian, but she's like, yeah. she's still yelling at it. Yeah, with an exclamation mark. <laughs> <laughs> Amelia puts her hands on Jewel's shoulders and with her holding on, the banishment spell works at the last minute. I'm here, Sarah. You can do this. Yes. And like, and I love this panel as it like pulls it back in or whatever. You know, you kind of see like behind the creature, there's like this blue flame appears and then it gets like sucked back in there. It looks in pain. Yeah. 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 That flame above them at the end of the scene That's where good. it's just like floating above them. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Well, we see stuff like that. You know, Mignola does stuff like that. Yeah, he does. Like, so afterwards, we reveal the reason it worked was because Amelia joined Sarah Jewell. She realized that John D. had Edward Kelly and William Blake had John Varley. You need two people to contact the other realm, she says. 
then I'm lucky you were here, Sarah tells In both cases, they were only able to do so with a partner at their side. Yes, yes. They were roommates. (laughs) Yeah, they were roommates. (laughs) They were just friends. Yes, just friends. Mm -hmm. Grant wonders if the creature went back to heaven... And Simon just hopes it doesn't come back. I do like Dale, how they don't throw it in our face, though. They kind of just, like, hint at it, you know? Well, yeah, so when we cut back to Simon Broom telling Hellboy and Professor Broom, he says, And so far as I know, it never did. Miss Jones never became an active member of the Silver Lantern Club, but she accompanied Sarah Jewell on a number of cases while they were associated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> I did, but I like that, you know? I don't know. Yeah, I do like that. Leave it alone. Because well, Lisa's also... got a mustache now, Danielle. Lisa's got a yeah. mustache. <laughs> but it is also still in 1953, and that is still very much taboo at the time. Right, right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But it seemed like they were all fine with it. Oh yeah, I don't think like they, they didn't. They didn't go, Sarah Jewell. What are you doing here in Amelia's apartment? And why are you buttoning your dress? Oh my God! They just go. They just have like a little bit. All of right. A, they have an awkward moment, and then they just go on with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that's because I think that's Edward cool. Gray yeah. had no problems dabbling in anything. Whatever. They defeated. They, they defeated the dark forces with the power of being girlfriends. Ooh, maybe that's Ooh, what it was. Whoa. Maybe. Huh? I'll be damned. Hellboy says. And Broom's like, we actually have a number of Amelia Cartwright-Jones pieces back at the BPRD archive. She's quite notable in occult art circles. And while often compared with Pamela Coleman-Smith, who provided the art for author Waits Tarot, it could be argued that Jones... Interesting that you should mention the tarot, my boy. Ah. Calls to mind the case of the missing medium, which ended up involving a cursed deck. Curses, hauntings, possessions... Seem like you guys got up to all sorts of trouble, Hellboy says. Quite so, Hellboy. But in this case, at least, it wasn't my fault. It transpired that another of Sarah Jewell's former associates <laughs> had gone into business telling fortunes. He's checking his watch over yeah, there. Yeah, Broom is checking his watch. <laughs> Good stuff. And that's where it ends. That's where issue three ends. So uh, he mentioned Pamela Coleman-Smith, nicknamed Pixie. She was a British artist, illustrator, writer, publisher, and occultist. She is best known for illustrating the Rider Waite tarot deck. Nice. Um, the okay. tarot deck became the standard among all tarot card readers and remains the most what? widely used today. It is, yeah. Um, so when you see, like, the tower, yeah. you know, all those okay. pictures, they, they're done by her. The magician. Oh, you know, man, and man, now they put them on T-shirts gotcha. and everything. You they know sure what I do. mean? But they, it originated with her. Like, think about that. I mean, a, a concept like the tarot, and then an artist had to put their images to that, and then to become, like, considered the... It's the most famous deck. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it, it, it's considered... Gotcha. That's, when you think of the tarot, the that, those are the images that you think of. Um, so I thought that was a cool comparison, and I love... Uh, some historical fiction so i love that in there we've got like five or six decks here um but i i think we do have a copy of that deck somewhere yeah so excellent uh, man i'm loving this and i really wanted to do all five issues in one episode but i just i really wanted to be able to do each issue justice because there's so much yeah. research and there's so many cool character moments so as much as i hated breaking this up apart um i think it'll be really great to come back and do issues four and five next month and um yeah what'd you guys think of this so far okay so i had no idea what this was going to be going into it like i thought it was going to be just like a straight up hellboy story i didn't know it was going to be like them talking to trevor's uncle and he's telling all these wacky stories yeah ed gray is just like getting the piss knocked out of him all the time. <laughs> it's very much it's it reads so like they had the actor for one day and so they got 
they they just filmed all of the bar scenes just in like a span of 20 minutes but yeah. it's like it's a fucking comic book so he definitely could have been these stories but it's like it would take it took place yeah before his time so it wasn't anyway yeah, yeah so having hellboy in this definitely was like oh yeah i forgot he i forgot this is a man telling right. a story in a bar to hellboy honestly i think it'd be kind of neat if they did like a limited series um for the Silver Lantern Club, That'd just a bunch of the good. Uh, bunch of the old guys sitting around telling stories. Yeah, I yeah. want this TV story. I want lesbian adventures of Sarah Jewell and all of that. Right. I think that would be fantastic. One thing I thought, I'm not even being sarcastic. I think that would be great. Well, that's what I was thinking about while I was reading this. A couple things I was thinking about. First was like. They don't give any years of any of these stories, mm-hmm. so you don't really know when they happen. Probably on purpose. <laughs> and it's like Simon totally. Broom is telling them, so is Simon Broom a reliable narrator or oh, what? The unreliable oh, narrator. He's also, he's also been drinking quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, But another thing I was thinking of is like, I was thinking about it like a TV show. Yeah, because, that's what I meant. Because yes. we, we've read the Hellboy comics. We've read the BPRD comics in the 1940s and stuff like that. We've read the Sarah Jewell comics and the Witchfinder comics. If this was a TV show, you would have all the actors on the same episode. Absolutely. You'd have oh, Hellboy, Broom, Sarah Jewell, Ed Gray, Reginald. You'd have all these people that we've had over, all these different stories come up once or twice. They would all be together in the same episode. That'd be like, great. I thought that was so cool. I would be like, man, everyone that we had from this series and this series, they would all get to be on the same TV show together yeah, or whatever. Awesome. You know? Yeah, like, don't these producers know we don't want another hellboy movie we want a hellboy show that's yes. what we want <laughs> i would love a, yes i would love that, that would be really i think great, that's man. that would be a great idea yeah you yeah. could do monster of the week with the overarching mythology going on just do x-files yeah what are you yeah. doing yeah. just do just it just do x-files god just don't even it, already. Like, it would be even cool to ha- not even have hellboy all the time in it yeah you wouldn't need him no you yeah, have the bprd yeah. exactly and i yeah, mean if you think about BPRD. Just do the BPRD. If you think about uh, if you think about these stories, I mean, Hellboy just comes in at the beginning of the end to be like, "Wow, Uncle Broom!" Like, you know what I mean? He's not really even in, and it's more about them. So, anyway, BPRD X file style, just do it. I love also seeing Ed Gray with a bunch of his with a bunch of his peeps, like. He's yeah, always the, the he's always the badass, like kind of weird one. But then amongst the group, they're like, "Oh, you again?" You know, what I mean, like they're just <laughs> yeah, like, you silly goose, not <laughs> talking not about the Heliopic <laughs> Brotherhood, you oh. <laughs> crazy maniac. Here's Ed Gray banging on about the Heliopic Brotherhood again. You know what I mean? Like, I think all that is really fun. Yeah, it's just cool to see him in a different. Oh, they, they too, love to poke know? him. Yeah, they love to poke him. from him. <laughs> poke him a little bit. Make him slam his hand down on the table. That's really good. All right. Well, that was a great episode. I'm excited to hear what you guys thought. And we'll come back and do more Silver Lantern Club later. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. The Silver Lantern Club. That was a lot of fun. And I can't wait to get to the rest of it, which I'll probably do tonight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to hear what you thought. Uh, send us a Hey You Damn Guys at Hellboy Book Club Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Podbean website, our Facebook About section, and our link trees on Instagram and Twitter. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Gartahan for the listener feedback theme. Thank you, Paul. Who did the Witchfinder theme? Oh, oh Andrew Adair. Thank you, Danielle. Thanks, Andrew Adair, for the Witchfinder theme, which we definitely used multiple times in this episode, probably. <laughs> At least once. At least four. Thank you, Only Beast, for the uh, oh, the opening You're theme. You're welcome. 
You can find the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And when you're there, open it up and give us that five-star review. Every little bit help. I also want to thank uh, thank Wes for joining us today on this uh, thanks, fun Wes. episode. Yeah, thanks for... We have a non-Baltimore appearance from Wes. Thank you so much for I love hanging out with you. Yeah. And, uh, if you like, and if you like what you're hearing, uh, tell a friend. Have them join the book club. Do it! Do it. Next week, we're going back over to the book club member comics, and we are going to be reading Baltimore, the book. And it's going to be the section, The Soldier's Tale. Actual uh, book club. Actual book book club. And Wes will be there, too. So you guys know what to do. Pull out those books, those audiobooks, digital books, and join us over at Book Club Member Comics. And next month, back here at Hellboy Book Club. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Sarah Jules' roommate. <laughs> I did air quotes with my fingers. <laughs> I'm a giant Himalayan spider. <laughs> and I'm Aubrey Lovelace. I still say the Helioptic Brotherhood must be somehow behind oh, this. Aubrey, ah, come on, yes. Aubrey. They are. He's right. <laughs> they are eat behind more, it. Eat more spider. God damn it, they are behind it. <laughs>